Thank you very much, John, and uh, the worship band, lovely songs. I try to keep my voice uh, low for those higher notes, make sure I can make it through the speech. But uh, thank you very much. It's lovely, lovely to see everyone. Welcome. Also praying for those who couldn't make it for various reasons. So as we've heard and know, there are lots of things happening these days, taking our attention, lots of changes, lots of challenges. Uh, and, you know, worries and increase, as we heard, in, in the price of living and so on, cost of living. And um, it's tricky, isn't it, to keep our focus on what God uh, has to tell us and what he's done for us. So this morning, I thought to meditate about a story in the scripture that is really close to me because it inspired me 20 or so years ago to put my, my trust and my faith in the Lord Jesus. I actually found some notes on this passage from 2004. So a younger version of me looking at this passage and just some comments there which uh, were really helpful and helped me to sort of uh, re rethink of the passage and what it means for all of us. Um, looking at Jesus, of course, it's all about Jesus he was here more than 2,000 years ago. He, was, he came for a unique ministry, a unique work for humanity. And what he's done and what he, the way he behaved, the way he entered this world, and all, all he did, we can only acknowledge that no one else apart from God could do and change the world as he did. The impact he had in humanity as we've seen in, in this Bible, which is a collection of books showing us how Jesus was, what he did for us. And um, I'll invite Priscilla here in the front to read the text for us today from Luke chapter 23, verses 32-43. And this is about the teeth on the cross. 23, 32-43. Two other men, both criminals, were both led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified with him there, along with the criminal, one on his right, the other one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written note above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminals rebuke, rebuke him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For, what we, for we are getting what we did deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come to your, into your kingdom. Jesus answered him. Truly I tell you, today you will be in me, with me in paradise. 
Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Priscilla. Let's give her a round of applause. <laughs> Reading for us beautifully. So we see in this passage Jesus on the cross, on his right another man, and on his left another criminal, as the text said. We see Jesus on the cross, love rewarded with hate. How was it possible that people responded to, with hate to what Jesus did? This story shows us the sinfulness of our human nature, of humanity. And we've seen this again and again when people are staying away from God. We've seen during the First World War. We've seen it during the Second World War. We see it now in Ukraine. What people can do to one another, just, you know, instead of learning the lesson from Jesus on the cross, he came to die for others. He didn't came to kill others for his purposes. It is a shocking contrast what he did for us and how humanity responded and how people treated him. But in our meditation uh, today, let's look at the characters in the story. So first, as we started, we look at Jesus. He was put between two criminals, hung, hung between two thieves. Him, about Pilate, you know, the, the governor, the Roman governor said, I can't see any guilt in this man. I can't see he has done anything wrong. Yet, he was standing there like a criminal. What type of people were the two criminals, if you think of them? Law brokers, robbers, probably rebels, as some texts describes them. Guilty of what they did, and the society didn't need them anymore. So let's imagine this scene for a moment, looking at that hill with the three crosses. That scene that inspired writers, movie makers, songwriters, and so on. We see Jesus in the middle. We see the three crosses up the hill. And this is kind of the message humanity sent back to God. We don't need your son. Take him back. He was different from all that humanity have ever seen. He came with a different message of love and forgiveness. But the religious leaders at that time, they didn't need that. They had their own ways. They had their own lifestyles. We didn't need, we don't need a savior, they said. And they sent him back. And then looking at the robbers, those uh, two other people on the cross, Nobody wanted to be associated with them anymore. They were exposed, judged, condemned, condemned. One of the lowest and dark places one could find himself in. Their deeds were made public. Their punishment was on display. There was such a negative example for the society at that time. And maybe, maybe, we're just thinking now, maybe even the Mothers and fathers, their family, gave up on them, ashamed of what they did. So no one wanted to do anything to do with them anymore. But the only one who wasn't ashamed to still have a conversation, at least with one of them, was Jesus. So in this story, my friends, we see that 
Even in the darkest places a person can be, Jesus is still there, ready to have a chat with you, ready to have a word with you, wanting to save us. So there they were, nearly naked, Jesus and the two criminals, attacked by insects and flies with hour of pains. And moreover, Jesus being mocked, as we've seen in the verses read by religious leaders and soldiers. He was stripped, whipped, mocked and bitten before being crucified, although he was without sin. Little did they know who Jesus really was. He was their savior. So now let's look at the first criminal and what he has to say to Jesus. So we don't know their names. We don't know if he was the one on the left or the one on the right. Let's just say first thief or first criminal. First of all, he says to Jesus, like a, in, a, in a mocking way, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourselves and us. Aren't you the Messiah? This is like another final temptation for Jesus. If we remember when he was tempted by the evil one in Matthew chapter 4 verse 5 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So we see the same temptation here on the cross. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Come off the cross. Call your angels. We remember a few Sundays ago when Jesus said to Peter in the Gethsemane, He said, Put your sword back, Peter, in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? You see the temptation there in the last moments of Jesus' life. And it is the same for all of us. Temptations will follow us at all ages. But Jesus answered with the scripture. And then the first criminal, we also see the angriness. The angriness in this man represents the people all over the world who are angry at God for what happened in their lives, for what happens uh, with, their, uh, with their situations, but never spending some time or willing to understand God, to come to know God. We look those two people on the cross, they both saw the same events. They both heard, hear the same words. They both were in the same place. Why is it that one is so negative, angry, mocking Jesus? Although Jesus, let's remember, he didn't do anything wrong to that man. Anything wrong at all. So people we see sometimes living in the same house on the same street, one can be so amazed of God's works, and he praises the Lord. Yet another, so indifferent 
They can't see the word of God in this world. It is very interesting now, Jesus never said a word to this first thief. He didn't say a word. It's very, very interesting because this teaches us that he didn't want to waste his energy with negative comments, with arguing, with fighting with someone in those last moments. So let's learn from this and don't waste our energy and life and time with people that are always negative towards God, always mocking, always something to complain about God. Yes, we are to tell everyone, you know, as far as we can about the love of God, what he did in our lives, and spend a bit more time with those who are willing to find out more, are willing to learn more from Jesus. So looking at this first person, so close to salvation, God gave them both the same chance to be saved, both near his son, meters away. They were close to salvation, as close as one could be. And yet, he missed the opportunity. Thinking again, what a suffering this must have been for Jesus, alongside the physical suffering, starving, being beaten, and so on. Seeing this man wasting his chance was perhaps even more suffering for Jesus. He must have been sad for this lost soul in his last moments, so close to Jesus and yet failing to open his heart to the light. So we see here that even maybe a word of repentance, a word of regret from this man could have made all the difference. But he chose to be angry, chose to be negative instead. So that was the first thief on, the, on that cross. Now let's turn and look at the second criminal and what he responded. And by the way, commentators are saying that initially they both started to uh, be angry at Jesus. If we read Matthew and Mark, the same passage, uh, it's a plural there saying uh, both uh, on the teeth with him, they both mocked him. So let's look at the scene again after these painful words from the first thief, from the first man. Jesus perhaps turned his head to the other man. He wanted both to be forgiven. But let's imagine that he maybe he turned his eyes, waiting with tension what this man has to say. And I was thinking, I think the same intensity, the same patience has Jesus today for many people to answer to his calling. We have people in our lives, friends and family, who are praying for. And I'm sure Jesus is waiting, as perhaps he's waiting in those moments, what this man would say about me. With the same desire, Jesus is waiting for, for this man to answer. And in verses 41, 40, 42, as Priscilla read, he said, But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for what we are getting. What our deeds deserve. 
but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a lovely words. Can we imagine in those moments, these words must have been like a refreshing time for Jesus in those painful moments. What a relief. What another joy. Someone understands the situation, understands who he is. He realizes he deserves the punishment of those days. He broke the law. And yet he sees somehow, something that Jesus is different. You see, he's not influenced by the negative comments on the other man, on the other side. It's so easy when you're going through tough times, sadness and, and challenges, to be taken away by people's comments. Oh, come on, this is, you know, where is God in all this? This shouldn't happen. It's so easy to let the negative comments take over our attitude towards God. Let's learn from this second man. Leave what other people are saying and listen and understand who God is. You know, he could have said, yeah, man, carry on. What's happening with us? Do we deserve this? You know, where is God in all of this? And so on. He could have said the same things. Yet something made him realize that the person being crucified next to him is something more than a bleeding body. Something made him realize this is his ticket to heaven. Something, perhaps, the prayer that Jesus said earlier, as we heard, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Who is this man who has done nothing wrong and yet he's praying for the one who's terminating their, his life? The world has never seen such a man, such a person. So perhaps that changed completely his mind, his heart. You know, he realized, I deserve the punishment, but this man has done nothing wrong. He started to fear God. And the question he asked the other man, don't you fear God? In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In those moments, he started to understand the fear of God. He started to understand it doesn't matter what people could do to you. What is really important is what happens with you when you meet God. What happens with you when you meet a holy God who invented everything, invented this world? And we remember the, the parable with the rich man who entrusted his money to most trustful people, right? God is like the investor. He invested, he created, he gave us life. He sent his only son. He sent the pearl of heaven, if you like, in this world to bring us back into his arms. So this man realized, God is the one I should fear, not the people. You know, it's like on our holiday when someone entrusts you something, you fear not to upset that person. On our holiday, someone uh, gave, gave us their car to drive for three weeks. And I can tell you, I was much more careful with that friend's car than I was with mine, you know. Seeing the holes in the ground and just go around, you know. It's the same with God. That fear of God for what he's done to us, try and give something back. That fear of God is a good 
starting point in our lives. So, again, can we imagine the impact of those words, words in Jesus' life on the cross? So comforting. Yes, finally, another soul I can bring with me to my Father. Such an encouragement, such a reassurance. This is why I'm standing here on the cross. Can you imagine if we look again at that scene? It's like a refreshing spring of water in Jesus' heart. How lovely is for us as well to use sweet words, blessings for others, reassuring them, this is why you're here. This is why God is calling you. When everyone seemed against, to be against Jesus, the leaders, the soldiers, the criminal, in those painful moments, some of them just may be curious to see if Jesus will do a final miracle and thunderstorms and you know, angels and miracles coming off the cross in glory and getting the Romans out of the country and so on. Perhaps that's what they're waiting. But this second man sees in Jesus something more than a simple bleeding man. In those moments, it was indeed much more difficult to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. It was much more difficult to believe that he was the Messiah compared to when he fed the thousands, compared to when he walked on the water, compared to when he healed the the diseases. That That would have been easier to believe. But here, on the cross, we can see what a faith the Holy Spirit has put in the second man's heart. You know, he realized that Jesus' kingdom is not from this world. People were waiting, you know, military intervention and so on. But Jesus always told them, my kingdom is not from this world. And that's why he asks, remember me when you will be in your kingdom. So he recognizes his guilt. He repents. And then, recapping some things on this second man's life, he acknowledged the existence of God. He believes in a standard of right and wrong. Right and wrong. He confessed that his and his companion has done something wrong. He broke the divine law. He conceded they were being punished justly. And additionally, he confesses the righteousness and innocence of Christ. It is wonderful to see he realized who should be afraid of. He trusted Jesus even in this situation when his life was nearly over. How amazing is this story for us? And uh, if Gemma will kindly want to come up here and uh, read us a poem, an old hymn, which talks about God's love for us. Would you be? This is entitled Jesus, Refuge of the Weary, and is an old hymn. Jesus, refuge of the weary, blessed redeemer whom we love, fountain in life's desert dreary, saviour from the world above, often have your eyes offended, gazed upon the sinner's fall, yet upon the cross extended, You endured the pain of all. Dare we pass that cross unheeding, breathing no sorry, breathing no repentant vow, as we see you wounded, bleeding, see your thorn encircled brow. 
since your sinless death has brought us life eternal, peace and rest, only what your grace has taught us calms the sinner's deep distress. Jesus, may our hearts be burning with more fervent love for you. May our eyes be ever turning to behold your cross anew, till in glory, parted never from the blessed Saviour's side, graven in our hearts forever, dwell the cross, the crucified. Thank you very much, Gemma. That was a lovely, lovely poem. So, Jesus can save and forgive. The countdown for this man's life started. Not much left. And we all have a countdown. But we remember last Sunday about God's reassurance of our salvation. And you know what the good news is? This countdown for our lives. When you believe in Jesus, that's reset to infinite. Amen? The countdown is reset to infinite. And that's exactly what this man realizes in those moments. He did not deserve the paradise. Do we deserve to be in heaven? If we are honest, and if we look in Revelation, it says, nothing impure, nothing unclean will ever enter the kingdom of God. Nothing. So the honest answer, none of us deserve to be in heaven, in paradise. Now we get to understand much more the grace from God. Because he was the one who was pure, without sin. He was the one who took our place. He took my place on that cross. And that's, as I said before, I'm, I'm very close to this passage because I saw myself years ago that was my place between those other two men, not Jesus' place. He took our place on the cross so that his holiness, so that his, so that his sinful, sinful um, so that his lack of you know, sin in his life would be put upon ourselves. His holiness is transferred to the ones who believe in him, in his sacrifice. If we ask Jesus for forgiveness... He can forgive us in an instant, less than a second. Because he doesn't look at our lips, what we're saying. He looks in our hearts. This man didn't have much time to explain everything. He just came to Jesus and said, remind me when you come in your kingdom of God. We, I deserve to be here. I deserve the punishment for what I did. That's all he could say. But Jesus knew his heart. Jesus could have said to that thief, really? Now you're talking? Where were you when I fed the thousands? Really? In these moments when I'm saving the humanity, you come to me now? You know, I don't have time for you. Let me finish the work I came to finish. But you see, Jesus has time for everybody. He has time for you, for me. For anyone who in this second prays to him, he has time. Because let's remember, he invented the time. He's outside time and space. As an example, at this moment, millions of requests from people for different systems, HR or invoices or whatever, are processed in an instance from all over the world. How much more God, who invented this world, could listen to people's prayers and confessions? So God has time 
for everyone. So let's come to him today. Even if we are Christians for 10, 25, 30 years or so, every day let's come to him now. Because the final thought of this morning is that God gives us much more than we ask him. His response in verses 43 says, Then Jesus said, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, the man said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you will do something. And Jesus said, No, 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 today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus gives us more than we ever asked for. It is today to believe in his name. It is today the day of salvation. So if we are here today and we want to put our trust in Jesus, today is the day. And let's not be ashamed to say and to recognize, yes, I want Lord to be in my life. So if you are here, there is prayer at the end of the program. We can pray and ask Jesus to come in your lives. And I'll, eight, I'll end this message with the final verses from the scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 16. It says in here, as a summary of what Jesus did for us on that cross. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith he professed. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize, to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God bless us all in our time of need to reach out like that man on the cross and grab the kingdom, grab the salvation for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.